It's two redheads flying the bird talking about racing. Wow. Wow. Right off the gate. I guess I set you, you up for that. that. You deserve that for a lot of reasons, but I will give you the bird. Just like Chase Elliott gave Kyle Busch the bird on Wednesday night NASCAR racing. It was awesome. Uh, there was, I think Matt Weaver tweeted something last night. It was everything he loves about stock car racing in one night. And honestly, we got almost everything but a green flag finish. It was it was fantastic. Or a, a finish in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a finish in general. Although, to have... Kyle Busch wrecking Chase Elliott as the last moment of that race. Not a bad way to end it. No, it was a terrible way to end it. The drama of it was cool. Okay, the drivers Chase involved Elliott were fan. Not. I want to set the record straight before we go into this show even further. Everyone from Door Bumper Clear has heard for the last two years how Brett and TJ accused me of being a Kyle Busch fan. And while that may have been true when I was a kid, I am now 22 years old. I work for Junior Motorsports, which is a Chevrolet team affiliated with Hendrick Motorsports. So my favorite drivers are, of course, Chevrolet Hendrick drivers. And and you've known this for a while now, correct? I Chase Elliott is my favorite. I would like to see him succeed. And so when Kyle Busch wrecks Chase Elliott, Jason yells profanity at the TV screen. So everyone's going to be getting a Chase Elliott fan perspective here. But just in general, I thought it was entertaining. It was action on the track. That's what I said. I like the drama of it. But we'll get into that in a second. First, we're going to keep this short. This is a Thursday afternoon race recap, which is pretty cool to do. We're going to go through three topics. First will be the idea of the Wednesday night race, the shorter race, all that stuff that we saw play out last night on TV. Also, the NASCAR not penalizing Chase Elliott for what he did on the track after he was wrecked and why a rivalry would be good. So let's get into those three topics to recap some Wednesday night NASCAR racing. Jason Schultz, that's a great point right there. We're going to be covering all that and it's going to be quick, rapid fire today. Absolutely. Andrew Curlin, you should keep your thoughts till less than 30 seconds or I will um, prevent you from talking. So I tweeted this last night after the race and Andrew likes to accuse me of not being positive, but this was a very positive tweet. I tweeted weeknight race. Shorter distance, inverted lineup, frequent cautions, hot tempers, flipping birds, real fun night. NASCAR hit a home run until the rain came. More of this, please. So all those those little subtopics. Weeknight race. First time since like the 70s that NASCAR was hosting a regularly scheduled points-paying regular season race on a weeknight. Of course, dual races that happened every year before Daytona. They're typically um, not, they're not, tech, those don't count. Really. Yeah, I wouldn't like count those. During the season. So this was the first time in 30 years. So the week, the idea of a weeknight race, of course, a couple times we've seen primetime races like two Daytona 500s, 2012 and 2020 from rain delayed races on Sunday. But the weeknight race, like you've got this captive audience on a weeknight. Like people typically watch TV in the evening. Like they're going to bed, they're, you know, winding down from the day they're watching tv so you've got this audience you've got these people craving sports especially right now that you've got an audience available for races on weeknight well week nights in prime time shorter distance let's cover that what do you think about this is probably the shortest cup race distance wise i would say i I don't have stats i should have looked that up but probably in a a lot of years so what do you think about the shorter distance the cup race felt like it was rapid fire. We were already done with stage one. I'm like, oh my God, this thing is moving. And it was moving fast. 
given that we had a lot of cautions. We had at least seven or eight cautions throughout the whole night, and it still felt like a fast race. And Denny Hamlin brought up some really great points in the post-race. Race winner, Denny Hamlin. Race winner, is. Denny Hamlin. Yeah. A side note here, Denny Hamlin wins his second race of the year, and for the second time, he is not the biggest storyline leaving the race. He's good at doing yeah. that. But Denny Hamlin brought up some really great points in that the in the benefits of shorter racing. You're not going to get the same players out front in a doubleheader race like we had Sunday at Darlington. It was during the day. It was a longer distance. We saw Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman. They were dominating. But in a shorter race, under the lights, different conditions, you get completely different characters at the exact same track, which I thought was really interesting. He also said that shorter racing was a catalyst to more aggressive racing because you had less time to get up front. You had less time to battle people. It was really, everyone had a shorter fuse, it seemed like, last night. And the racing was a whole lot better because of that. The action was compacted. Yeah. It was concise into a shorter window, so you had to do more in a less amount of time. So ideally, just in general, that'll make the racing better because there's not time to, like, ride around, get strung out. It's literally, you have to go and you have to do this now. Definitely a good point about the stages. Like that first stage went so quick. There were a, a lot of cautions, but like having short, it kept me interested. Like usually it's like, all right, this first stage is a hundred laps. I'm going to watch it in the first 20, then tune out for like 60 and then come back for the end of the stage. There was no time to do that. You paid attention the whole time. In NASCAR, trying to attract new audiences, younger fans who have less attention spans, th- making things shorter, absolutely the direction to go in and the other thing that i loved was the frequent cautions like i mentioned more cautions means more restarts more action more drama and also the green flag runs not as strung out you're getting more action in a in, um, more consistent action throughout the race you're not just waiting around for the next caution things are happening all the time and cautions mean stories and means things happening that was literally my favorite part of the race, having 11 cautions. It was the perfect amount, and it, they were spaced pretty evenly throughout the race. One thing that I think benefits shorter racing, too, is I think teams still had eight or nine sets of tires. And at Darlington, a place where tires mean absolutely everything from one lap set fresher than another, tire strategy came into play. Here's the thing, and this is going into my next point, is I think we got a perfect storm with Wednesday night NASCAR, Darlington under the lights, a 310 mile race was the absolute perfect setting for it. If this were at another track, we might be talking about something different, which if we're going to talk about midweek racing and Wednesday night racing, Wednesday night NASCAR is, is I would like to call it because that sounds pretty cool to me. We have to make sure we do it right. It's got to be short distances. We got to go to short tracks or tracks that create high action, high strategy, like Darlington, Martinsville, Bristol. Or new venues yes. that are not currently on the cup schedule. New venues like, or smaller venues to attract that kind of short track crowd yeah. vibe that you get on a midweek the race. The South is scattered with tracks like that, that, of course, NASCAR would have to improve and put safer barriers up and stuff like that. But if you're trying to create some intensity and action like you saw at a short track typically and put it in the primetime light, short tracks are perfect for that. Guess where they're going in two weeks on a Wednesday night? Going to Martinsville. Yeah. That, the only thing I'm not looking forward to, that is a full 500 lap race, which I think will detract a little bit. 
based on what we saw with the shorter race on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night. But other than that, that should deliver everything that Darlington did and then more because it's actual short track. Yeah, so the recipe I think that we both agree on is it's got to be a short track or I'm cool with Darlington. Like, Darlington was awesome. So I was surprised by the quality of racing in Darlington. I was not expecting it to be that good, but it was entertaining. Yes. I th- and, and I think under the lights, and I don't want to get into package talk, but I think cooler temps increase the how, how the track is raced with, with this package. Also, with night races, Saturday night NASCAR used to be a thing. I was watching an old Darlington race ahead of the this past weekend's races, and the hype around a Saturday night event yeah. was way more prevalent in, it was a 2005 darlington race like they're like it's oh it's short it's like darlington saturday night like, like so that's how they promoted it and then there's been this movement in the last 10 years where night races aren't that popular not as many people watch not as many people go the action's not crazy good except for you know the marquee short tracks like uh, bristol and what the martinsville night race was supposed to be this month so the idea if that saturday night like atmosphere is no longer there for night races for NASCAR. A weeknight, I think, totally replicates the same thing, but just in a new era where you have new opportunity to do something like that and make it special like a night race. It always is. Yeah, I think so. Our, our Wednesday night NASCAR recipe for a good race is it's got to be a short track or an entertaining track. It's got to be a night race. It's got to be short distance. Uh, I think it's got to have a lot of cautions. Yeah, get a lot of cautions, but I think that comes with the track. But if you can get that, man, I'm in. And all right, field invert. So, like, say we do a Wednesday night race at Bristol, we got to invert the field from either the previous race right before that Wednesday night race, or we can even go back to the first Bristol race. Hey, we invert the field based on the first Bristol results. Or just have a random draw. Or random draw. Yes, make it. Don't put. Don't put the fastest cars in the front of the field. Like that's so dumb. You're gonna they're gonna pull away and they're gonna dominate. When the fastest cars aren't up front, guess what? They have to make their way up front, passing slower cars, racing with slower cars. That's what it's all about. You know what the other part of the recipe is that you forgot to mention? What? Drama. Yeah. Drama, drama, drama. So let's get into the drama from Wednesday night. As the race is winding down, I don't know how many laps were left. At the time, maybe like 30. There were 20 laps to go when they brought him down on pit road. Yeah. It was a restart. Cars had pitted. Cars had faster tires. I think Denny Hamlin stayed out or only got two tires or something like that. His tires were older. That's all I remember. And Chase Elliott is chugging along, making up significant ground. First of all, Chase had a beautiful pass early in the race, too, when he was racing with someone and they side drafted and then he pulled back ahead. Maybe, I don't think it was Newman. It was someone, I don't know. Beautiful move. Chase, great race car driver. So now here he comes late in the race about to make a pass for the lead and he's about to pass Kyle Busch, about to go up and take it, take over Denny Hamlin. He was clearly probably one of the best cars in the race, so he was going to the front. And then Kyle Bush, racing with Kyle Busch, and then you see Amari Kyle Busch is going to move up behind him. Um, well, he was not clear and completely turned Chase down into the inside wall. Chase Rex, all of a sudden the car that was going to win the race is now wrecked in the infield and Chase is pissed. Yeah, he got out of that car, and I first thought, first thought, it's, I thought he was going to throw his Hans device at Kyle because he had it in his hand, he was gripped. Mm. But He's probably considering his option. I know, he gets out of that car, and you could tell he's upset. And then um, he, as he there should were a be. couple different animals on the track. There was a fox at the end of the race, but there was also a bird being being flown. And, uh, man, he, he kept it up there. He did. Yeah, that's perfect. Drivers showing emotion like that, being angry after something like that happens, completely justified. We don't really see that as much, and that was 
great to see. But my favorite thing was NASCAR coming out and saying, we're not going to penalize Chase Elliott. Like they have penalized drivers who have shown emotion like that in the past. I have some examples. Uh, Let's go all the way back to 2006. This was a Bristol race, very good Bristol race, spring race. Jeff Gordon, Matt Kenseth at Bristol coming, I think was the final couple laps. Matt Kenseth spun Jeff Gordon out as they were racing for a pretty high position to finish. Then after the race, Gordon parked behind Kenseth on pit road, came up and shoved him, a pretty significant shove. And NASCAR penalized. It was just a shove. It was just like a push out of the way and then they were separated. They didn't really get to talk. NASCAR penalized um, them for that instant. And that was, um, according to Ramsey Poston, who used to be the NASCAR's director of communications, I think for like from 2004 to 2011, he was on Nate Ryan's NASCAR and NBC podcast uh, last year, I believe. And he talked about his time in the role of director of communications for NASCAR and how they addressed incidents like that. And he said it was a mistake for NASCAR to penalize Gordon and uh, Kenseth in that scenario because then it deterred drivers from showing emotion or and they were afraid to you know fight to get into each other they were afraid to do that so for the next seven or eight years before NASCAR said boys have at it again it was don't touch each other we're very clean cut we're not going to make a mess out of the sport no drama we're going to race and that's all we're going to do and that had ripple effects throughout the field for the next 10 years now for the first time, so NASCAR, of course, started um, relaxing penalties for things like that instance on the track. Quickly, 2014, Tony Stewart was involved in a dirt track incident and uh, before Watkins Glen, which killed a driver who came up to his car to display his displeasure. And so after that, NASCAR made a rule that drivers aren't allowed to approach the racing service after an incident. So 2016, Danica was wrecked by Casey Kane at Fontana approached the racing surface to voice her displeasure and was fined by NASCAR um, $20,000 just for coming near the track. Chase did the same thing on uh, Wednesday night, not penalized. That is completely the right call. NASCAR does not need to penalize drivers for showing emotion like that. Um, you need to embrace the drama like that. That's the stuff NASCAR should want. Seriously, NASCAR should pay Chase for that. Like That is a highlight reel that they can use to promote the sport for right now when there's no other sports going on. like Look what's happening in NASCAR. Guys are angry. They're showing emotion. That's what the sport's about. Like That's what racing brings out. We should embrace that instead of trying to um, push that away. And that's what NASCAR, I think, is starting to do more now than they have in the last 10 years. Dale Jr. sent out a, a great tweet today, and he, he usually tweets really good he, stuff. Man, he—if I could only follow one person on Twitter, it would be Dale Jr. From an entertainment standpoint, and then actually quality NASCAR tweets. But he said that it would be police throughout the field. It, you know, NASCAR doesn't find them. Chase yeah. Elliott and Kyle Busch—they sell it amongst themselves. And I, I totally agree with the boys have at it. You know, let's let's because here's the thing. They settle it amongst themselves. Everyone's going to tune in to the Coke 600 to mm. see if Chase is going to get his payback. So it, it creates a lot of more eyeballs. And, um, you know, I, I can agree. Just let's have boys have at it and, and go from there. If it gets way out of hand, like someone's like endangering yeah. another driver, yeah. do something about it. But when it comes to fights, I would never, unless there's a crew member like what happened with Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano right. at Martinsville, unless a crew member violently tries to injure another a driver, Penalize the crew member. But when drivers are fighting or angry like that, that's such great publicity for the sport. Don't penalize them. Same thing with on-track incidents. If someone wrecks someone else, no penalty. Like, let them settle it among themselves. They will figure it out. Eventually, they will stop wrecking each other because, of course, they don't want to be wrecked. I think you just can't use your car as a weapon. I think NASCAR has been very 
very clear about that. You use your car's weapon, they're not going to be very happy about that. Yeah. But intentionally wrecking someone, that is part of the sport. Like, that has happened for the whole history of racing. Like, you should not penalize something like that. If someone got into you and wrecked you earlier and ruined your day, there's no reason why you can't rough them up and kind of pay it back. Like, that's what racing's about. That will draw interest. It will draw storylines. That's what we need. Love it. I want more Wednesday night NASCAR. Exactly. And now, this is what needs to happen moving forward from this Kyle Busch Chase Hill incident. We need a rivalry. There has been a serious lack of rivalries in NASCAR for the last 20 years. There was a documentary Fox did about Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon's rivalry in the 90s um, a couple years ago. It brilliantly told the story of how they were rivals, how they respected each other but raced each other really hard, how their fans hated each other and they clashed all the time. Like true hatred for the other. Like if you cheered for Jeff Gordon and I was a Dale Earnhardt fan, like I despised you, like stuff like that true rivalry in that sense and of course they had their on-track incidents they had their moments they had their moments when they were racing really hard for big wins and big moments like it was all part of that formula that has not like in the last since i've been a fan of nascar there's not been a long-term rivalry like that there's been short little dust-ups like brad keselowski and kyle bush had a thing um early in the early 2010 decade kevin harvick kyle bush for a few years were really um, not happy with each other definitely were rivals but it all faded away like these r- things that angry anger drivers now they pop up but they fade away they don't really stay in conversation and it's not like five, something from five years ago still means that these two drivers don't like each other they kind of settle it and then they don't really address it anymore we need Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott to hate each other for the next 10 years imagine these are going to be two of the stars of the sport for the next decade Imagine, as were Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt in the 90s, like two of the best. Imagine two of the best not liking each other, racing each other extremely hard. Every time you know they're going to race each other for a win, they're going at it. They're battling. They're, you know, rubbing fenders. They're doing everything they can to beat the other because they truly don't want to see them succeed. Like that kind of rivalry would be insane for the sport and would draw so much interest in storylines and would get people to tune in. Let's see what Kyle Wish and Chase Elliott are going to do now. So I really hope this... Um, turns into them just not being fans of each other, hating each other, and truly developing a rivalry. Yeah, I agree. It'd be a lot of fun to watch. Hey, guess what? What? After that Kyle uh, Chase incident, my first thought was, hey, I can't wait to see what happens next week. But guess what? We only have to wait like three more days and we get to see what happens. I was like, I was trying to talk about the first Darlington race and I can't say like last week because it wasn't really last week. It was a couple days ago. Mm. I love it, though. And we got Xfinity racing. It seems like, I don't know, every time you turn on the TV, there's going to be a race on. I love it. It's, it's very entertaining. Imagine a summer where we're going racing on Sunday, racing on Wednesday, and just a cycle forth. for like two Yes, months. and another Epic. thing. Wednesday night races should be a summer thing. You know, keep this out of the playoffs. Yeah. You know, let's warm up with regular season, go every Sunday. As soon as we hit May, June, July, August, let's go racing on a Wednesday. I'm 100% in. Yeah. I want to be against it in the playoffs just because that's the time of year where you're competing with the NFL. So picking a weeknight where there's no other professional sports on TV, that would be gold. Like you would get more people paying attention then than you would on a normal Sunday. I know NASCAR's traditionally been Sundays, but finally they see the power of a weeknight race. Hopefully ratings will be not that great simply because it was on FS1. That These races need to be on Fox and NBC. I really hope that's <laughs> the what's changed The Singer was the reason that we weren't on Fox. But, hey, you know what? We were trending higher than the Masked Singer, so that's what they get. Yeah, big deal. But <laughs> hopefully that's a sign NASCAR knows where 
knows the potential of this race, knows how great it was. Now let's put it in maximum exposure of a large audience. Yes. Amen. All right, real quick. We both edited a, a Dale Jr. Download podcast this past week. We, we yeah, had some so, teamwork here in the Redhead Racing Radio. So Redhead Racing Radio, the podcast hosted by an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old, um, was in charge of one of the most popular podcasts in NASCAR for the most popular figure in NASCAR. So a lot of a lot of high stakes. I had to trust Andrew enough to come on board and help me edit that podcast this week. Uh, us at Dirty Mo Media, very busy with a lot of projects. So I was um, given the opportunity to kind of take the reins of the Dale Jr. download. Worked out well. Andrew helped me out. Saw how much work um, high quality podcast production takes. But it was a good product. It was pretty fun. Yes. No, it was it was very fun, entertaining. And um, yeah, Jason, here's one thing you should know about him is he never hesitates to get the podcast plugs in, whether it would As be... As a good podcast host does. Yes. Whether it be DBC in between a break, um, he'll throw out Redhead Racing Radio or even on the Dale Jr. Download in between some of the ad reads. Dale was commenting on my Zoom profile picture because I was mm-hmm. I was hidden and muted just to help record record the show. And he goes, what do you say? He's like, why does Andrew keep smiling? Yeah, why does he always keep smiling? <laughs> and then, of course, I need to explain. Of course, Dale knows who you are. You've interviewed him a bunch, but my, Mike Davis doesn't really know who you are. So I had kind of explained, <laughs> oh yeah, that's my friend Andrew who's recording. That's who Dale's mentioning. And then Dale was like, well, Andrew's my friend, too. I'm like, yeah, I know he's your friend, too. And then I said, we do have a podcast together. And then that crossed the line. Dale said I was boasting too much, and I need to Boasting about the podcast and the friendship. <laughs> yep. So if Dale, if you're listening, I apologize. Yeah, who's, who, who's a bigger friend? Is it you or Dale for me? I don't know. It's going to be hard to compete with Dale, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll settle it. I will. I'm going to answer next week. Tune in next week, everybody, to have the answer. (laughs) All right. I think this is fun doing a Thursday night podcast after the Wednesday night race. Let's see how Charlotte plays out next week, and maybe we'll do the same thing. Yeah, we need more midweek podcasts. Oh, that's what we always do, you idiot. (laughs) All right. Follow me on Twitter at HeyJasonSchultz. I tweeted, you know, go retweet my tweet about uh, how awesome a Wednesday night race was, and I'll be sharing some other stuff in the coming weeks. So how about you? Where they can follow, Where can they follow you? How about Andrew? you? That's an Eric Church song, by the way. Great song. Uh, That's why I said it. Good, yes. You can follow me at Andrew Curlin TV, at Andrew Curlin on Instagram. I'm um, going to keep posting post-race Zoom comments oh, cool. from the drivers cool. and talking to Austin Dillon this week. So that should be a good conversation because he, he seemed very opinionated on Twitter this morning. So lots to talk about ahead of the Coke 600 and a fiery race at Darlington. So stay tuned. A lot more to come uh, from me. All right. We'll see you next week.